0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, guys. Pastor Ryan here. So glad that you have joined us. Many of you guys have been asking, when will North Valley reopen? Well, I want to encourage you uh, to let you know that we as a staff team and an elder team have been praying consistently and faithfully and continually. And so I want to encourage you to join us in prayer for that. We really don't want to open up too soon, and we don't want to open up too late. And we understand probably half of you, will, whenever we do open, will say it's too early, and the other half will say it's too late. And so I ask for your grace in this and uh, in your faithfulness and commitment uh, to North Valley. Now is the time to be North Valley. And you can help give a voice. Uh, Many of you have already filled out the survey. Fill out that survey. Let us know uh, what you're thinking, how you and your family are doing and processing, and when you'd be willing to help join ReOpen. We've got a lot of volunteers, a lot of young families and and kids and empty nesters on all sides of this issue. So uh, please take that into consideration. Fill that out, and next week, Uh, I will be able to give you an update and a decision as to when we will be reopening as a church based on what I know right now. Uh, So our elder team, staff team, all working towards that together. And remember, now is the time more than ever to be the church. Um, You might have uh, heard the news, but we were able to, through your generosity, uh, able to start leveraging resources up to the Navajo Nation, COVID-19 had a major impact uh, with the uh, a, a vulnerable community in our state, and we are going to join forces with Arizona. Uh, 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 volunteers in organizations to help the Navajo Nation. There's more than 200,000 folks on that reservation. 30% of them don't have water. 40% of them don't have electricity. And Pastor Leroy is the man that we're going to join to be able to help to leverage resources. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that food drive that we're doing, and make it a weekly habit. And you're going to start seeing names and faces of families. We're looking at 16 different families in the Navajo Nation that are very, very much in remote, and dire needs in this crisis. So let's be the church in this time. And thank you, all of you who filled the truck up with lots of food, and we were able to deliver that to Flagstaff with meet Pastor Leroy and then have him take that into the reservation. So thank you for doing that. So join that food drive effort. Uh, we want to be here to help. So let me pray for us, and we're going to get into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to teach your word. I pray today, everybody that is watching and tuned in at their home, at their workspace, wherever they may be, out afar, uh, traveling on business, God, would you use this word to encourage them, edify them, build them up, uh, Lord, and so that we might be a witness to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey guys. Today we are continuing on in our intentional living series and I want to get straight to work with it and talk about the importance of work in our culture. As of April 2020, there's roughly 113 million people that are working full-time in the United States. That's less than it was when this pandemic hit. 40 million have filed for unemployment since that time. And And many are starting to go back to work. I know many of you, I think it is three in five American workers, say that they've had to work from home at least once during this global pandemic. And today, what I want to talk about is intentional living with work. Work is a big deal. We spend about 90,000 hours of our life uh, working, that's about a third of our life. And God has a lot to say about our work. And as we are, Uh, moving into a season where we are readjusting, trying to figure out the new normal, we're going to be looking at uh, what does it look like to work uh, for the glory of God. And so today, the Apostle Paul gives us this reality. And the sad part about uh, the culture that we live in, uh, according to some research, 80% of folks say they hate their job. And today what I want to do is encourage you and help you learn how to love your job. Maybe to lower your expectations of what you have for work, but raise the bar on how you approach your work. So the Bible has something to say about it. So let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Uh, when you go th- uh, through a book, uh, you, get no, you get you skip no challenging parts, and today I have a very challenging part. But Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 says this. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, uh, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now, this is a tough uh, passage because it brings up the issue of slavery. Uh, that word "bond servant" means slave, is what it means. Uh, the Greek word is doulos, and there's a negative connotation with that word slave. And in the New Testament, there's a negative connotation in some senses. And there's a negative, uh, there's a positive one as well. The Apostle Paul calls himself a bondservant, a slave for Jesus Christ. So how are we to look at this issue, learn about uh, how we're going to uh, apply principles from Scripture uh, with employers, employees, workplace, when we're dealing with first century uh, slaves Slaves and masters. So here's what I want to do with you. I want to give you kind of a short synopsis or a, shino- a short uh, uh, overview of slavery from a biblical perspective. And I want to encourage you maybe to check out one of the devotionals that I've written. I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live on Monday and Tuesday of this week, going to further unpack this controversial topic with all the racial tension that goes on right now. Um, this kind of text is crucial to understand in a right perspective. So, at first glance, you could read this text and think uh, or, or this is, would be a text used to justify slavery, and some have done that, but that's not the right application. Uh, first, you need to understand that slavery was a way of life in the first century. In the Greco Roman world, many estimate that there were at least 12 million slaves in that time frame. Um, Some would argue that it was the best option for individuals to go into a a bond-servant role or a slave role. Um, In return, some would be given, uh, slaves would be given food, shelter, and protection, um, there are some that, kids that were early abandoned. In the Greco-Roman culture, there's this idea that if, if a, a, a husband and a wife had a child and it was a girl, they didn't want it, they, it would be completely culturally acceptable to set the baby out on the curb for trash pickup or take the child and discard the child in the dump. Uh, if the child was deformed, they would drop off the children and leave the children for whoever to pick up, for whoever to find, and for these children to die. Uh, Be abandoned. And, And so, Many times, uh, many individuals within the Roman society would go to these places, find the children, bring them in, give them food, shelter, but in return would tell them they would have to work on a plantation or on some large estate, on some facility uh, structure. Some of those masters were good. Some of them were bad. Um, some, are, some slaves came from in, indebted. They uh, had a debt that they couldn't pay, and so they would, in a sense, rent themselves out with their labor. And this would be a preferred choice. Some slaves were voluntarily slaves uh, by their own choices in this time frame. Additionally, there were those that were lawbreakers and they uh, were given an option whether they could uh, face their time in, in a prison or a confinement or they, they would they would choose to be some level of service uh, to uh, the, the, the uh, government of Rome. And Rome had many... Uh, slaves that held skilled positions like you wouldn't think of today uh, or in American mindset, but uh, some slaves were held positions of accountants, bookkeepers, medical professionals, estate managers, and could work up and earn their freedom. But here's what you need to hear about this concept of slavery. Um, many and most slaves suffered tremendously. It it all depended on the master. Many were born into slavery and couldn't find their way out. They were stuck. Uh, the Others were captured in wars by battles and forced into slavery. Uh, others were bought or purchased. Others were kidnapped or found. Others were found at that dump and then forced into uh, sex trades or prostitution or some horrendous, harsh environment for this. And the New Testament speaks about this. This is the the culture in which the Apostle Paul is writing. He's writing and he's addressing the social structures in society. He's, He's addressed the husband, the wife. He's told the husband he needs to be a radical man of God, very culturally different than the rest of society. He wasn't to treat his wife as a piece of property, but he was to die for his wife and love his wife like Christ did the church. Paul gives instruction for the marriage. Paul gives instruction for children and parenting. And now Paul gives instruction for masters and for bond servants or slaves. He's giving instruction for all societal uh, uh, structures. And it's revolutionary. It's very, very, very progressive. So the Apostle Paul uh, does this, but the Bible has a lot to say about the ill treatment of human life. Uh, first of all, you need to know that Genesis 127, from the beginning of our Bible, says that we were made in God's image. Male and female, he created them. This concept of this creation that God created us is very similar to that concept that is woven into the Declaration of Independence, saying that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Equal. And that equality of mankind that God has created is a concept that's consistent from Old Testament to New Testament. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible advocate this harsh, ill-treatment of individuals. And this concept even of of, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.10 condemns the act of enslavement along with other sins. The idea of buying or selling individuals is absolutely an abomination uh, towards the Apostle Paul's mindset. And so we, the other thing that we can understand is the Apostle Paul was a revolutionary in Galatians three twenty-seven through 29. He talks about how there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. All who are in Christ are together. And there's this reality that the, the Bible affirms this concept that all people are created equal in his image. And today the Apostle Paul gives us some instructions on each level of society, and today I would like to advocate that you can translate uh, this in this picture of masters and bond servants to employers and employees. So I had to lay that out, and so what does this mean as a whole? Christianity set a whole new bar for what it looks like to work. So what does bar mean? Uh, mean or what, what what are the big points in that? It means first that the Apostle Paul is going to say, you need to see yourself having a brand new boss. The way you view your boss is totally different. Secondly, you need to realize you've got a new assignment. Your assignment is totally different than the one that you think that you have, uh, reporting to your employer, reporting to your boss. You have an assignment from God. And then thirdly, there is reward in the way you act, in the way you live, in the way you conduct your, uh, your everyday work life matters tremendously. If we're going to spend one-third of our life working, we want our work to matter. And God has promised us a reward in that. And so we'll get to that. First, so so I've called this the Christian's Checklist for Work, kind of uh, four essentials, if you will, uh, for what this looks like. Um, And some of this is is going to, you're going to have to lower your expectations but raise the bar. Why do I say lower your expectations? I think the millennials are the largest workforce in American society right now, and their expectations are so, so high. They want to advance so, so fast, and they find themselves so, so discouraged oftentimes. Um, They want to make a difference really fast and really quick and want to be acknowledged and put on these fast tracks. And that is a tough reality. It takes time. Most people overestimate what they can do in a a short period of time and underestimate what they can do in a long period of time. I want to encourage you to think about 90,000 hours of your life. How will they be used? Can we take God's Word today and apply it with a new perspective? My suggestion is there's perhaps some things that you've got to change in order for you to make a greater difference and a greater impact with the time remaining that you have. And I don't mean for those of you that are retired, you don't ever retire from God's work. It's ongoing. For those of you that are are young and, and you don't hold jobs right now, anything that you put your hand to, Uh, If you're a student, your job is to go to school. So this applies for everybody, okay? For the moms that are working at home all the time, they work from the home. This matters for you. You've got to listen in. So checklist number one, the Apostle Paul says that we need to put our hearts into it. I want to challenge you to put your heart into it. Um, According to research, 80% of Americans say they hate their job uh, and will change their job seven to eight times before the age of 30. That means a lot of people don't have passion for the position. They don't love what they're doing. Additionally, like I said earlier, 71% of millennials aren't engaged and 60% of them are looking for a way out. What the world needs right now more than ever is Christians who love what they do. Our greatest witness at times is our work. It's not what we say, but it's what we do and how we do it. We're going to learn today as we look at the scripture that it's important that you put your heart into it. Um, let's look at the passage first of all. In Ephesians 6, 5, it says, Bondservants, servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, notice that word heart, as, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasing, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That word heart is mentioned two different times. The Apostle Paul indicates that we need to put our heart into it. It's the same word that's used in, in the great, commands, great Commandments when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart is uh, in the Greek, right here, is the word cardia, and it's, it means the inner self or the heart, mind, or will. It, it is the same word where you get the word cardio. And it's the idea, though, it's not just emotion, it's intellect, it's will. And the Apostle Paul challenges the employee to have a sincere heart, to put their heart into their work, not just people-pleasing, going about your business, but putting your heart into it. Uh, And it's going to have to be a decision of the will. It can't just be an emotion of the day or the morning. When I wake up and I don't feel like going to work, there's a choice to make. If I don't delight in my job, do I just uh, drown in despair? No, I let duty kick in and calling kick in and say, I'm gonna go and give it my best, period. Why? Because God calls me to that. The Apostle Paul says, put your heart into it. I wanna challenge you to do that. It says, uh, doing the will of God from the heart. Uh, this idea of heart um, is important. It, you could understand it as passion, but it's a passionate commitment to work at your job, doing the very best that you could do. Uh, Howard Thurman, author, pastor, civil rights leader, once said, "This man was greatly influenced by Martin Luther King Jr." He said, "This don't ask yourself what the world needs." I love this. He says, "Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive." And then go and do that because what the world needs to see is people that have come alive. So my question to you is, what makes you come alive? Maybe you're in a job right now where you feel like, I have no life there. Well, you know what? My encouragement to you is pray to God and say, God, at least I've got income coming in and that's great. Um, But you can say, God, I'm asking for wisdom. The Bible says if anybody lacks wisdom, ask your God. He'll give it generously. So you can ask God, God, give me the wisdom right now, how to position myself, steward myself to do something that makes me feel alive. I would say what the world needs more than anything is Christians who are alive. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. You need that life in your work. What the workforce needs is a vibrant group of Christians that are influencers in all realms and sectors of society, in society. And the arts and the sciences and the medicine and the economics and the IT industry and in the nursing industry in the family life and the counseling structures in every arena, we need Christians that are alive and passionate. And the Apostle Paul tells us, first of all, that we're to put our hearts into it as employees. We can't just go about doing our business with no heart in it. I can remember times in my life when I didn't have my heart in my job. Years ago, when I was 18 years old, I was in a world of trouble. My dad dropped me off at Asherado. It was a junkyard. The guy who owned it was actually a rich, redneck millionaire, and he was a Christian, and he made a big difference in my life. Day one, he said, I heard that you're a tough guy. He stood on my foot. He's about 6'5". Huge man. Stood on my foot, and he Poked on uh, my chest with his gigantic finger. His name was Pod Bowie. I mean, who's got a name like that? That's crazy. He says to me, I hear you're tough. He pushes uh, my chest with his gigantic finger and he says, You're not tough, I'm tough. I've been whipped, I've been stabbed, I've been beat, I've been drugged underneath the truck. I've been shot. And he went on to say all these things about how he was tough. And he pushed me to the ground and said, I'm tough. So get that into your head right now. Now I need you to go to work. And for the next few weeks, I hated my job. And I hated that man, Pod Bowie. He was mean and rude. Um, What I found out was I watched Pod though. He actually loved all his employees. He was a good Christian man, rough around the edges, I'd say, very unconventional in the way he handles things, but everybody respected him. And I found myself being lazy, not putting my heart into it. He found me one day, gave me a good scolding, and told me, you need to work at this with your heart. Put your mind to it, Ryan. And through that experience of working with him and learning with those guys, somehow I grew to love the place. I was scrubbing oil on the floors. I was pulling parts out in the junkyard. He gave me a forklift to drive. And pretty soon as he got me going and I started realizing, man, this is cool. I, I started to love it. And it can be a temptation for all of us to write off a boss that first comes across as rude and mean and nasty. Or it can be a temptation for all of us to think we're doing something that's monotonous and boring and who cares about it. We're just getting parts off of an old Cadillac or, or whatever. But I soon came to realize that, you know what Pod Bowie was teaching me? He was teaching me about respect. He was teaching me about hard work. He was teaching me so many things that I would take into my life later. He was teaching me how to relate to everybody. He could relate to the mayor that came in and got his car fixed. He could relate to the poor uh, inner city individual that rode in on a wheel that, and the tire's been shredded off for miles and didn't have a penny in his pocket and we'd help him out. He'd say, Ryan, get over here and help this gentleman. He would call the poorest of the poor, gentlemen. And I learned in that, that when you put your heart into it, things can happen for the good. And sometimes it takes trust. And sometimes it takes overlooking an offense to do that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you got a boss. Maybe you got an employee that gets on your nerves. They are ruining your, in the, the work environment. My prayer is, is maybe you take that time and say, God, if, maybe if I could overlook this, I could put more of my heart into it and start to try. I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, next, uh, the, next on the checklist, uh, we see this reality um, that we need to live before the audience of one. In Ephesians 6, 7, look what it says. It says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. That's one thing that you've got to learn how to do. You've got to figure out at your workplace how to start working for the Lord. Let your labor be for the Lord, not for man. See, when, 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 when I started to realize at that point in time when I was working with Pod Bowie, I wasn't a Christian. Um, but what I saw in Pod's life that he was a Christian and he worked in such a way that I started to sense he was working for God. He wasn't working for anybody else. He wasn't working just to make a bunch of money. He, w- he was wealthy. He had lots of land and properties and he somehow he loved a junkyard. And, and so the reality is, though, is the Apostle Paul points at that, that we need to work for the Lord, not for man. That's that principle I want to tell you about. It's called working or for the audience of one. It's where you start to realize, yeah, when you go to work, you have a boss and you should report to him and you should honor him and, and try to follow out the company's objectives, as long as it's not causing you to sin or calling you to do something ungodly or that's going to hurt or harm somebody else we should do that. But the Apostle Paul challenges us to this principle to work before the audience of one. It means that we need to raise the standard of who we're working for. We're not just working for the boss man. Uh, We're not working nine to five just for the boss man. We're working for the Lord. And the important part is in this is that you need to realize this passage is not only in Ephesians, but it's also in Colossians. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily uh, for the Lord and not for men. There's that same idea that you put your heart into it and you work heartily uh, uh, for the Lord, not for mankind. I remember years ago when I was a a river rafting guide, I showed up uh, just after I became a Christian and had another tough work experience. Um, I'd become a Christian on an outdoor trip in Colorado, and I said to myself, Lord, I'm a Christian now, I would love to work with this organization, in Buena Vista, Colorado on the Arkansas River, being an adventure river guide and mountain guide and rock climbing guide. So I took the job, and I I was lucky to get it. I drove a couple thousand miles away from home all by myself. I'm there. I'm a brand new Christian. They barely let me work with them because they were a a Christian-owned and operated company, the largest river rafting company on the Arkansas River, one of the most dangerous rivers, um, uh, in, that, in that state, if not in the country, class three and four Whitewater, so they trained us really hard. And I started realizing this job wasn't so great. They gave me room and board, but it was like a shack, 20-something guys in one house. Uh, we were all river guides. We didn't have any money. They deducted all of our, our housing and our lodging off of our paychecks, and we, didn't, we got paid pennies. And a lot of the guys started to complain. I'm a brand new Christian and I wanna serve the Lord. And so I had to get motivated and I decided to write this Bible verse on my life jacket. It said, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. I made a decision right then and there on the banks of the Arkansas River in Buena Vista, Colorado, that I wasn't going to be working for a paycheck, wasn't going to be working for uh, the boss man, who would show up at the big staff meetings, give the big pep talks. We had a 100 guides and staff people all together. It was a very large company uh, for, that, for that industry. And I decided I'm working for the Lord. And the Lord taught me this. I had the opportunity every single day, even though I didn't get paid a whole lot, Um, And it was a hard grind, very, very hard work, early in the morning, late at night, getting the boats ready, loading the customers up, going down the river in the morning, doing an a.m., then doing a p.m., turning around and doing a p.m. afternoon trip. Um, I totaled in my my rafting career more than 3,000 miles of whitewater. And here's what I learned. God didn't take me there for me to work for somebody else. He took me there so I could work for him. And what he taught me right then and there is that I had a privileged position and opportunity to share, the, share my testimony in the morning and in the afternoon to anybody that got in the boat. And they had to listen to me if they wanted to survive. And so I learned in that moment that God oftentimes puts us in positions where you and I have to make a decision of the will of the heart, but not the heart as you think, the feeling heart, the decision of the will about work. And what he wants you to do is to approach each day with a discipline and a will of taking your work as an opportunity to say, This is an act of worship. I'm going to live before the audience of one. I'm not going to go along with what everybody else says. When all the other employees are grumbling and complaining, you got to push them aside and say, I'm not like that. I lost friends over that decision. People said to me, would you sign a petition and and tell them they need to give us higher wages? Would you tell them that we should advocate tips from our customers? We were the only rafting company in that Arkansas River Valley in Buena Vista, Colorado that had a sign that says, don't worry about tipping us. On the bus, ride home. That bothered me, but I respected it. It was my decision to work at that company. It was my decision to say, I'm going to stay here and work here. And what happened was God uses a testimony of faithfulness to say, just do the job. There's been so many times that I've been in positions where people in authority have made decisions that I was uncomfortable with, but I learned to say, you know what? They're not leading me into sin. I just disagree. I'd do it different, but... I'm working for the Lord here, and the Lord will oftentimes remind you that you, the most important voice that you need to listen to is the audience of one. You want to hear the Lord say, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." You want the reward of God's blessing of faithfulness. You don't, if those of you who are people pleasers you need to buck up. You need to get more courageous and say, I need to hear the voice of my heavenly father in this. And so that living before the audience of one is crucial. Uh, A third check for the Christian's checklist for work is this, is that you need to expect God's greater reward That means you need to raise the standard for what you're working for. Many of you are motivated by bigger paychecks or bigger bonuses or flexible time, flexible space, flexible hours. I get it. So am I in so many ways. So is most people. But we also, many of you also are probably motivated just by a positive environment where there's peace and where there's encouragement and support. Well, the good news about God's work program, his labor laws, is he offers both. He wants to give you reward. And many Christians don't like this conversation because it sounds works-oriented. No, let me explain to you. This expecting God's greater reward has nothing to do about salvation for a Christian. It has everything to do with your sanctification. How you live your life now determines what happens in heaven to the amount of blessing and reward and treasure you have in heaven. You say, whoa, well, let's look at the scripture. Uh, The scripture says, first of all, let's look at what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 8. He said this, he said, knowing that whatever good, so that means whatever you do good, anyone does, that means master or employee or uh, employer or employee, this he will receive back He's gonna receive something back, and from who? From the Lord, uh, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So the apostle Paul said it there to the church in Ephesus that he they're going to if if you do good in work you're going to receive something good back from who? The Lord. Where is the Lord? Is he walking around in this time frame in the church in Ephesus? There are employers in the congregation. Timothy would be preaching, children, parents would be there, husbands, wives, mean harsh husbands that were invited to come to church that day. They hear the preaching. Oh, I'm supposed to love like Jesus Christ. Snap. I don't know if I can do that. Employers who are sitting there running large businesses. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to act different. Employees, I've got to respect my boss. I've got to do this under the Lord. But wait, Timothy would say, you can receive something back from the Lord when you live this way. We have a checklist on how we're to work. And the Apostle Paul didn't just address the church in Ephesus. He also addressed the church in uh, Colossae. It says in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord, not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So there is this reward, this inheritance that we receive. And additionally, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew six nineteen through 21. When Jesus talked about laying up treasures in heaven, he said this to his disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can lay up treasures for yourself. Additionally, there's this concept of the, the bema seat in, in, in Corinthians where the Apostle Paul addresses that we are all going to face a day of judgment before Jesus Christ. And, and those that are losers in that situation aren't going to get whipped by Jesus, but the winners are going to be rewarded And the Bible tells us that there's a day that we have to give account, and it's an exhaustive evaluation on how we used our time on earth. And our work will be accounted for. Every day that we get up with the attitude that we have, the actions that we have done, Jesus said this if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will be rewarded. There is reward, friends. God does create a reward system. And as in our, in our day and time, when so many are discouraged and feel defeated in their workplace, maybe the only hope that you have right now, other than quitting and risking not finding employment again, is simply saying to the Lord, thank you that I do have a job and that you will reward my faithfulness. And our life here and now is a drop in the bucket of what eternity is like. We need an eternal perspective on facing our work. Our work matters tremendously. God gave you a personality, a skill set, a season in time in which you live in the 21st century in Phoenix, Arizona, or whatever city that you're watching from. He's placed you there on purpose, and He's called you to not only to expect this greater reward, but also to accept responsibility for those whom you oversee. The Apostle Paul closes out with his exhortation for the CEOs in that congregation, for the managers that were sitting there in that small little church in Ephesus in the first century. When Timothy is reading this letter from the apostle Paul, his father in the faith, these guys are hearing, what else do we have to do? You've told us that we have to live so radically different than everybody else. Now they're getting to the masters, the CEOs, the employers of society. And the apostle Paul exhorts that There should be responsibility for those that oversee. The Apostle Paul says uh, this to Timothy to teach and share and admonish among the church in Ephesus. He says, masters, now that would have woke them up. Hey, Oh, good grief, they're talking about me. I was happy when they were talking about all the employees. Yes, you need to obey me. Yes, you should uh, serve me like you'd be serving the Lord. But now the masters are being addressed. The employers, the CEOs, the managers, the presidents, the vice presidents, those guys are being addressed. He says, masters, do the same thing. Do the same thing. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is, no, there is no partiality with him. What does that mean? It means a couple of different things that you need to, as an employer, you need to seek the well-being of the employees. When, when the Apostle Paul said, masters, you need to do the same thing, he's talking about everything I've just talked about that the employees should do for their employer with that sincere heart in goodwill, do the actions unto the Lord, the Apostle Paul says, masters, you do the same thing. That was unheard of. Masters shouldn't treat their slaves like that. Masters should treat their slaves however they want, and nobody would question it. But not the Christian community. The Christian community was totally different. The Christian community, they saw children as a gift of God, where culture saw children just as a piece of property. If it was a boy, it was valuable. If it was a girl, who cares? If it was deformed, worse. Maybe you're cursed by the pagan gods. And here, the Apostle Paul again challenges us to think different. Accept responsibility for those you see who you oversee. So if you're a manager, if, you oversee, if you're oversee, you the CEO of your household or the manager of your children, you need to seek the well-being of those little employees. Yes. Additionally, you got to stop threatening. Threatening doesn't do any good. Apostle Paul says stop that. There's no need for that. Not in the church. Additionally, he says that we should, this, this idea, he says that we should submit to the Lord as employees when he says that their master in yours is in heaven. In other words, he's saying, The master, King Jesus, he's in heaven, and he's the ultimate master. He's the master over the employer. He's the master over the employee. Every time you raise in a rank of position or power, you are tempted not to be humble. Every time that you get an additional achievement, you are tempted to think that you did that on your own Everything belongs to God. Every person, every skill, every talent, every trait, every blessing that you have, everything in the Lord, everything in the world is the Lord's. And 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 everything that you have and that you are able to accomplish is the Lord's. And we are to submit to the Lord and additionally stop playing favorites. I remember hearing a story of an individual, a Christian man who was promoted to an executive level of leadership. And in his promotion and in his excitement, he began to act different. He changed. He began to treat his employees uh, like uh, less than the best, like he used to. And then he, the employees started to resent him. He reminded his employees that he was the boss. And eventually he lost the respect of the employees and eventually he lost the respect of, of the teams and the production and the sales all went down and then he was released from his position. Reality is, is that if you forget as an employer who your master is, who you're working for, then you're missing out on God's best for what God calls us to labor for the Lord. I want to encourage you in closing this, that you realize that for us as a church, that God calls us, that's North Valley, to raise the bar. Think about a new boss. Think about a new assignment. Think about a greater reward. God calls calls us at North Valley to raise the bar for His glory and our good, all of people's good, And so we should go and we should share and show the love of Christ in the workplace. To Christ be the glory in the North Valley. I hope this this message encourages you, challenges you to take that next step to say, I'm gonna take an additional step and check off this list to give my best to improve my work for the glory of God. We're gonna continue to worship. It's great being with you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.